Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, as this episode is being released, we are just about at a hundred days of the Writers Guild strike. Um, I don't have anything new or interesting to say about this, um, except that you know, going out on the picket line and seeing everyone has not lost its appeal. You know, if the goal of the AMPTP is to break this union and SAG as well, and unions in general, I don't think they're going to do it. Uh, The feeling out there on the line, even in the 95 degree heat, is incredibly positive, incredibly optimistic. Um, It's really something to see. If, If you are in Los Angeles or New York or any of the other places where picketing is happening, go go jump in the line. And uh, join us. You know, it's always good to have the bodies. There was a real shot in the arm when SAG joined the fight uh, last month. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see this thing ending anytime soon. Which is why, you know, we're trying to make a living in other places. So, you know, I've got these podcasts, which are tied to the newsletter that I've been doing for almost a year now, uh, Rewriting. Um, if you haven't checked it out, please do. It's at benblacker.substack.com. I would urge you to read a couple articles. And if you like what you've read, uh, or if you enjoy this podcast at all, please become a paid subscriber to the newsletter. Um, it's not expensive for the price of a, of a cup of coffee. Think of it as buying me a cup of coffee every month. I like coffee. Um, But if you become a paid subscriber, you get access to our monthly, sometimes twice monthly, live Zoom Q&As with professional writers in which you ask the Qs and they provide the As. Um, These have been really fun. They're like, it's been small groups, uh, fewer than 10 people. So everyone gets to chat and hang out and get great advice from folks such as Sarah Gamble and Matt Nix and Akela Cooper, you know, sort of uh, writers panel all-stars. So head over to benblacker.substack.com. And again, if you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, uh, become a paid subscriber. If you want to join those Zoom Q&As, become a paid subscriber. I, I really appreciate it. It's very helpful in this time. I'm also doing some teaching over at Script Anatomy. Uh, I'm doing a televisionary, which is their introductory class, uh, which starts on September 10th. Um, I hope you'll check it out. Uh, I, I love having good folks in these classes. I've been really lucky to have people have found the classes through the writer's panel and through the newsletter. So I know I'm getting a high quality student who is, you know, who wants to write, who wants to do the work and learn about writing and talk about writing. So that televisionary class, as I said, starts September 10th. You can go over to scriptanatomy.com for details on that. And then the follow-up class I do uh, which is the draft intensive in which we take you from outline to first draft. Uh, both classes are really fun. Um, the intro class is a little bit bigger, um, but then the the draft intensive is a you know a smaller group where we really dig in on your stories. Once again, scriptanatomy.com, and I have put all the info on the newsletter, benblacker.substack.com. For today's episode, we're continuing with these craft focus conversations. And this was a really interesting one with a writer who's been at it since, gosh, the late 80s. Um, Joseph Darty uh, 
worked on his first big job was on 30 something, uh, you know, starting whenever that was 1990 or so, uh, he joined that staff and it seems like it was a real learning opportunity for him. He has lots to share about that. Uh, he's since gone on to work on a ton of really interesting, like TV movies and movies and TV shows, uh, judging Amy once and again, which is a show I love before winding up in 2010 on Pretty Little Liars. He was there for the run of that and has since worked on the um, new series, Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionist. Joseph wanted to talk about dialogue um, specifically. And as you'll hear, it sort of became a a more wide-ranging conversation than that. Anyway, it's a good one, and I think you'll enjoy it. You'll find lots to take from this conversation with Joseph Doherty. Um, As I said, All of the information about the upcoming classes, uh, as well as, you know, interesting, I hope, uh, newsletter stuff is over on benblacker.substack.com. Please go and visit that and um, leave a a message while you're there. I'd like to know how you found it and how you are finding it. As ever, thanks for listening. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. Joseph, thank you for being here. Why don't I have you first start by introducing yourself and tell the folks where they have seen your name on their television screens? Okay, uh, we'll do it backwards. That's the way life works. Uh, most recently, uh, I was on Pretty, Pretty Little Liars for the full seven seasons, which was just the best damn time I ever had <laughs> going to work and a short commute. Um Prior to that, I, I went through a period of uh, I, I started in television on thirty uh, something uh, back in uh, late in the previous century, and coming off of thirty uh, something, I, I tried to do some development. I didn't have a lot of fun um, doing development, and I realized I missed production. So after a couple of years of of not having a good time, I decided to look for um, staff jobs that would, among other things fill in my blanks um 30 something was notoriously non-genre so oh i've never done a cop show i'll do a good cop show i've never done a medical show i'll do a medical show the trick being that you'd you'd end up somewhere down the road and you'd be able to use every skill you've you'd ever located prior to that uh um i had a play in new york uh which is was really beginning of of my career and i just I'll cap it off by saying I finally got back uh, off Broadway uh, last November with a play, which was which was great. Um, and I'm trying not to look at things as having bookends. <laughs> no, I think I want to get. Um, and you know, my stock line is um, was a writer before I knew what a writer was, and uh, wrote a book. Wrote a book about writing, which is which is amusing. Uh, and I just had a novel come out a couple of weeks ago, which was fun too. There's often this conversation about writing and, and my perspective here is sort of like writing is writing. Like we're just, we're just telling stories in different media and let's see who will pay us for it. Well, there's your question right there, young man. And how much? Uh, yeah. It's, it, the, the notorious thing of course is God, God, God help us when they realize we do it for free. Well, I think right now we are finding that is not the case. (laughs) 
we're finding that um yeah well this is this is my third strike and they're just they just get so charming but this one seems much really exciting and organized and i'm and i will say let's uh i i should say just to, to point out a couple of the other credits folks might know you from um judging amy um you also i i saw are the writer on cast a deadly spell which when i was a young teenager i was obsessed with that movie I'm so happy. Yes, I did. And I'm, and uh, that's, I wrote that script uh, when I, when I literally couldn't get arrested. Uh, uh, I wrote it in, in an apartment in Jackson Heights, Queens. And part of the reason I did it was I wanted to write something that would cheer me up. Um, And thank you. I'm, you know, it, it came out, it did what it was supposed to do. It seems to have hung around a little bit. The I'll tell you this: the the digital transfer that HBO Max has right now, it looks fantastic. It looks better than it ever looked in its thirty year history. And occasionally, I get to go to HP Lovecraft festivals uh, and see the movie with with audiences that uh, laugh at jokes that only HP Lovecraft people laugh at. It's very strange. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. I'm. I'm. It's. <clears throat> yeah, it's something I got to do. It was, you know, like it was. It was the kind of thing that didn't really exist at the time that it came out, which was this like mashup of genres that was so appealing to me as as you know a, a young person. But like, I think it was very ahead of the time. And now, and Fred Ward is great. In it. Unfortunately, the late Fred Ward. Yeah, he was just just completely perfect for. It. I like mashing things up. I realize I've been doing it more than I thought I was. The novel that came out is 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 a mashup of uh, of Bradbury Wells and Vonnegut. Um, it's 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 War of the Worlds from the Martian point of view, and one particular Martian who really is miserable having to go to war. But uh, yeah, but uh, uh, yes, or well, Cast of Deathly Soul was originally called Lovecraft until HBO did marketing testing and found out people thought it was about a boat. So that's how I ended up with it. At the time, my assistant said, well, why don't they just call it Throw a Big Rock? Don't, don't, they're making the movie. Just be quiet. Um, let's talk about, so am I correct? And, and it sounds like I am that you started your career as a playwright. Sort of, kind of. Uh, I, you know, I was a kid growing up and it was always going to the movies and watching television. So that was the first introduction. And at the time I got out of high school and was looking for colleges, there weren't a lot of film programs. And the ones they had, fortunately, I couldn't afford. So I ended up with uh, going in for a basic theater um, work where so my writing and acting and directing knowledge comes from an adaptation of, of, of stage work. And frankly, I think it's one of the reasons my, why my stuff sounds a little different, has a little bit more meat on the bone. Hmm. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about that. I mean, you know, our our purpose here was to talk about dialogue. And you said, you know, will I be will I be the umpteenth writer to talk about dialogue? And honestly, we could talk to 10 different writers and get 10 different takes on dialogue. And I think it's it's fascinating. So let's start with that. I mean, does how does the studying of drama of theatrical drama inform the writing of your dialogue why does it sound different what what is different to you about it um i i think the the main gift of of looking at great stuff uh 
is a rather generic phrase is is the is it reveals structure um because one of the problems some people had some writers have basically is they look at a line of dialogue as being something completely independent and not attached to what comes before and what comes after that really if you want to get it going you're into a call response situation and you have to remember it's a conversation um it's one of the things I one of the things we did at at, at uh, PLL at Prelo Liars was I had you had four you had four principles basically and a ton of exposition on a weekly basis. You chop it up, you chop it up, and you you know. And my standard my standard line was if you want to know why the why the teen girls on on PLL talk the way they talk watch Howard Hawks Air Force because it's a kind of, it's basically there's is it's not human speech it's something with a bigger signal to noise ratio the guys i the guys who made me a writer are Rod Serling Herb Gardner Preston Sturgis and Billy Wilder um the, you know i mean i don't i i don't know of a real writer who would not give a big blob of money who've come up with some of the ingenious things that Billy Wilder has come up with over the years. It's astonishing. You could just teach the apartment and it would be a great course for somebody. The, that's a range of writers though. I mean, like they all have very different approaches to character and dialogue. Um, let's, let's first talk about, you know, what you learn from those influences and then talk about how you made it your own. It's. I think the structural. Actually, I always talk about Serling as the guy. Basically, is like, oh my god, I'm I'm a kid, and there's a guy in a suit, and it's his job. He's a writer, and he's got, and he can afford that suit. Um, the 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 thing about Serling is because he was writing so much in early television. Sometimes you can you can see the structure peeking through, <clears throat> which is not a it's not a sin it's just it's just a thing that happens when you're writing television as fast as you are um i've always liked basically the things i learned from ron serling was when in doubt if you have to build a pause into a line say the person's name well mr harrison you've come here finally to see me well it's a shame isn't it um also, also, if you analyze certain, Serling loved loved lists. He loved he loved constructing lists of things. You are this, that, and the other thing. You are this. You're a that. You're a you're a penny pincher. You're a and just like just shovel it on, which I guess is kind of Shakespearean. And and both he and you don't think about him and Sturgis in the same in the same breath. They were both. I think they were both focused on seeing how much they could get into the dialogue. Um, Serling wore his heart on his sleeve. Uh, I don't know what Sturgis wore on his sleeve, but it was insane. Um, it's like Sturgis, Sturgis velocity, his velocity and content. Uh, and how much more can you get in? Can you get in a little more? And you won't know how what too much is until you know you actually have to sit there and listen to it and say, "Well, I will take that out too." Also, Herb Gardner, who wrote Thousand Clowns, is very near and dear to my heart because he writes, he wrote, um, 
it, it it's hard to catch what's good about people like this to me is that you it's hard to catch them writing stuff sounds stuff sounds organic and and in the case of people like Sturgis it's divvied up you know somebody once said you know the 15th person coming into a scene in Sturgis gets as good a line as the first person who walked in so it's it's interesting too to me that like Sturgis and Wilder both you know as much as the delivery always sounded very natural they were very self-aware like they were writers who were using the words uh as you know their characters you use language to deflect emotion you know unlike unlike you know sterling uh sterling who like you say war is hard on his sleeve um and i think that's like that's an interesting thing to draw inspiration from both of those ends of the spectrum it's yeah it's like again it's like sterling has his place in my heart because basically he's the first guy and 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 it's and as a and and as a kid it was it was like it was like you went to the genre place because the genres genres revealed more of their writing bones than than so-called conventional drama which is why right behind serling although people don't talk about him very much is joseph stefano who created the outer who, who did the outer limits and and wrote one of the two best alfred hitchcock scripts which is psycho um and it's like and stefano was a craftsman he could get a, he could get a little full of himself but when he was in genre he he played into that he would go into that stefano is is responsible based on robert block's novel he's responsible for two exposition scenes in psycho that should not work Right out of the bat, at the beginning of the picture, you go in through a window, and there's Janet Lee and John Gavin, and they've had they've they've had sex on her lunch hour. I think it's like it's got to be close to ten pages of just these two people in the room having had sex. And the first line of the movie is, "You haven't eaten your lunch," and it's basically her getting dressed and him getting dressed, and you and you find out he's divorced, she's not happy with this stuff. Uh, she doesn't know what to do. He wishes he had more money. They wish they could get married. They're on the, they're, you know, but it's the most painless exposition you've ever seen. It's nothing. You're watching, you're, you're watching Janet Lee put on a brassiere, uh, which is a fine way to doing it. Uh, and, but it just is like everything you need to know to set up the picture is in one scene of two people in a bedroom at the top of a picture. So there's none of that fear of, I must blow something up now you don't and the the other thing which shouldn't work at all is uh the psychiatrist speech at the end of psycho which is simon oakland is the actor who delivers it and and hitchcock said to stefano said i don't think we should do this scene he said this is a hat grabber people are just going to be leaving the theater at this point and stefano says trust me this and this is beautiful because basically what it is is we've been thrown through a loop for the past hour and 48 minutes. And now somebody else in the suit is going to tell us, he's going to give us something we can kind of walk out of the theater with, although we don't completely trust it. Um, Stefano, and as you say, so Wilder is, I, I, in my mind, sometimes I think about Wilder and Diamond um, in, in a room and they've 
plotted out. And they, and they said, okay, this scene does all of this. And I swear to God, I hear one of them saying, what else can it do? What else can we get? This is not pad it, not show off. What work can this scene do? And some of their stuff is just astonishing. I, there's there's stuff in mine in minor films. Here's the other thing too: is you, sometimes you got to look at the minor films, and you'll see the scene, and you'll say, "Well, this picture really stinks, but I could steal that, and <laughs> it would work." But this is, I mean, I think the, this loading on, like these are the masters of it, right? And this loading on of um, exposition and character and plot. Like a scene has to do so much. And this is stuff I, I talk with my classes about so much is like, I, I urge them as new writers to simplify it. But that's, that's not removing information. That's, that's, that's streamlining. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, but let's talk about, I mean, let's, we've mentioned exposition a couple of times already. And, you know, this is the architecture of screenwriting. Uh, and this is often the hardest thing in screenwriting. What have, what have you learned over the years? Um, well, one thing, and it's, we, I verbalized it for for Hart Hansen when we were working on on Judging Amy. I said, "You do realize part of our job is to come in every morning and identify non load bearing walls and knock those bastards out because they're just in the way." Well, t- talk about what that means. Well, I think it's 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 because in an episodic uh, and the kind of episodic that used to be very time restricted at forty at forty four or forty two minutes. Um, if you wanted to find grace notes in a scene, you'd, you'd, they have to do something other than be graceful. They have to, they have to reveal something, uh, about, about a character. It's one of the problems we had with 30 something when they tried to syndicate it is that we were, our episodes were 49 minutes long and our scenes were almost always constructed so that the money was at the end. And when they cut it for syndication, they came in and just cut the ends off of all the scenes. So it looks like a show about people folding laundry. Uh, it's, um, it's like, what does it, what does it need to do? I mean, this is one of the great lessons of outlines, not, not outlines for consumption by producers, but outlines working, you know, one or two pages of beats. It's like, what's it supposed to do? How's it supposed to do it? Um, what are what who have got who who do I have access to in a scene who can say this stuff and how do I not say it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a big part of it, right? You don't want to show those scenes. You don't want people to feel the exposition. So, what can we do to hide it? I think it's kind of be ready to look around the room you're in, the fictional room you're in at any given time. And to remember that even though, even though you're not writing dialogue, you are writing. Um, it's well, okay. So, guy, guy walks into a, um, a diner and he sits down and somebody comes up and says, you're, 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 you're Eddie Phillips. You were, you were in jail for that crime that was committed a few months ago. Uh, I understood you were innocent. Are you innocent? You can do that. Or he can come in and sit down in the bar and he can get a, he can get a text on his phone and it's his parole officer. You wrote it. And now we know, but nobody had to say, aren't you the guy? Maybe you have to start with, aren't you the guy and ask yourself, 
What do I have to do to get this guy to shut up? Or what can he actually say down down the line that has some value, either for the character or for something else? It's 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 looking around. It's the fact that basically it's not a photorealistic process. It's almost it's more like an old style matte painting where the detail is all where the eye wants to be focused, and then the de- and then detail fades away as you as you go away from it. And I don't know, people people pick up a lot of exposition these days and they're pretty good at it they keep going to the movies and shit um but it's you know i like take i like it you know you catch yourself boy these people are talking a lot what's what's in here what's to what can be distilled i guess it's a distillation process which unfortunately requires you putting together the mash um is that you have to not be afraid to overwrite at particularly at the beginning you'll never you'll never find the shorter scene until you write the longer one it it never it just let alone where it goes um i think that's great advice um the i was thinking about 30 something and how like this was like you said this is not a show with genre this is a show about characters and feelings resolutely refuse to touch genre Exactly. Um, and so it does, it's not a show where, you know, you get to have exposition while people are running away from spaceships or something. Um, and, and so every scene is about the feelings of the characters. As I said, epi- uh, scene after scene, episode after episode, writing about feelings, moving story and character forward, presenting depth of character again it's it's all these things that a scene needs to carry but you don't have the sort of big world ending events to to lean on no no i mean is um the thing about the thing about to me it was basically that um i mean the joke around i was in charge of plot like structure that was not actually plot was that even in even when you're just dealing with feelings and nothing more than feelings um you have to hang it on something. There has to be an armature. There, you know, in acting terms, why am I staying in the room? What do I want? They're very basic questions, and the dialogue has to has to respond to that. We would cozy into it um, and drop hints along the way. I said, you know, man, the difference between forty nine minutes and forty two minutes is pretty big. Um, so we had, and, and it was a strict four X structure. Um, you knew you had these actors who ha- you'd worked with them a lot. You knew how they sounded. I used, I said to Molly Draper, don't worry. I know how you breathe. I can do, I can do this for you. Um, you knew how, you knew how to give them something they could slip into that they could almost, particularly people like Busfield, is you could kind of see them take it on and start to run with it and then carry the real, I'm so terrified that my marriage is over and I have fucked up not only myself and my wife, but my kid, and I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do. And the thing that, you know, the reason reason I did 30-something at all was because I said, this is a show that actually says you cannot you can be angry at somebody you love. And I thought, we have to say this on television because people aren't aware of the fact that your best buddy and your and your best girl, uh, you can it can it can get rough sometimes. But that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. All you have to do is keep talking. 
And if you can talk like the characters on the show, you can get to your point eventually. But the other thing I was curious to hear about um, from from those shows, you know, any of these non-genre shows, I mean, even even Pretty Little Liars, which really churned through plot, but like was very much about these characters. We had we had dump trucks coming in every day, just loading plot, just we had a coal chute. Um, but like creating plot out of these human moments is so interesting to me and like finding the weight of certain things and and or giving weight to certain things while you know not breaking the show you know it's it's it is it, it is to vary it is a varying set of processes or processes it's again it's like you you can't i, I have a hard time with people who say they don't outline at all because I really, I mean, you know, you're not going to live forever. <laughs> you you might you might want to just decide, you know, how you're going to get in the middle of the lake. Maybe you're going to go to the. Maybe you're not going to go on the other side of the lake where you thought you were, but you got to get off out of the dock in in some way. To me, it's listening to them in your head, uh, which is such a hoary old chestnut for writers. But you do, you do, and you can, and you should find, you know, some equivalent to um, Anne Lamott's quiet corner in her head where you can't just listen to characters and write stuff down and you can correct them and you can be surprised by them. It's amazing how you can be surprised by your characters. They will say things you didn't think they knew and it'll freak you out. Because you don't think you're that good, but you actually, but you actually are, because it's yours and you did it. And no one else could have done it just that way. It's a tremendous amount of pride, you know, when people come back and and, and say, "I remember this line, I remember that line," and this is yes, you remember those lines, but but it's all in, it's all in services. It, it's all in service of story. Because if the carrier wave isn't there, I don't think people care. I don't, you know, and. It's like, you know, it's something you look at, like, the really serious movies of somebody like Stanley Kramer, uh, things like On the Beach. Um, it's a big, bulky, you know, it wears its submarines on its sleeve. Uh, and yet there are moments of tiny, small intimacy in there when two characters are talking to each other. And those are the things you, you, you carry away w- with you. Um but how do you, it's like, it's like, I don't know if you talk about television, it's like, it's kind of like when you look at the, when you look at the 21st century Doctor Who, you're looking at a tremendous amount of bombast. Things are blowing up all over the place. And then occasionally they simply stop and have a cup of tea. And I'm saying, well, this is, yes, this is exactly what you should be doing. This is how you do it. You have to get actors and writers who know how to write teacup scenes illuminated by exploding universes you've got access to these bigger metaphors and you can play around with them and no one's going to think you're being you're just because you're just being wonderfully casual and again it's like I've, I've written about this it's like the guy the men and women writing doctor who now are for the most part people who loved it as a kid so it actually has this kind of it has it has a kind of a self-perpetuating generation that i don't I don't think this thing's going to end in our lifetime as long as there are people being inspired by what writers are doing. But I mean, it is, it's true. It's like, yes, everything blows up, 
But then two people look at each other across the table in a, in a restaurant and say goodbye. And it's like, that's great. I'm a great admirer of, 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 of like the whole, the, mostly Capaldi because I really like the actor. I, you, you mentioned, and speaking of actors, you know, you're talking about the 30 something actors and working with all these great actors. Um, and it, it, relates to me to you know the thing you were saying about Serling and the inserting a pause into dialogue and there's an aspect of writing dialogue that is telling the actor how you imagine it, the line is said um i'm i'm curious to hear about that sort of collaboration with actors both you know in your head as you're writing but then in actuality on set when you know they're delivering it a different way or they're nailing the way you you imagined it's you know it's one of the great unique blessings of 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 being of being on series television the way and this is we have to bring it to the strike here the way series television used to be done which is basically a group of writers with easy access to the stage on which the scripts were being shot so that, among other things, you were growing producers out of writers, which is something that's not hap- happening now. Um, you, 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 you listen to them. You get a sense of you literally. You, know, you get a sense of how they breathe, and 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 then you get into this place where some people call you out because because my feeling is basically when you write dialogue punctuation is actually musical notation so it doesn't it's not it's not about grammar it's about breathing and spacing and 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 thought um and i think what you do is you notate that that's what those commas are for um it's if it's if it's a character who basically is a little self-effacing and has trouble making compound sentences they don't get compound sentences they get small groups i'm here for the party I was invited. I've got an invitation. They're all full stops. And and once you once you once you know how these people uh, breathe and what they sound like and what the characters sound like, you can start doing things on a very very natural level. They love it because it's it's easy to remember. I mean, yeah. I mean, yes. I was. I was three o'clock in the morning working on working on the holly hunter show and feeling like i just wanted to get in the car and go home and she comes over and sits next to you at video village and says you know your stuff's easy to memorize i said i'm good (laughs) i'm fine for the rest of the day i just woke up um it's you hear what they do you can hear what they do the the bus fields and 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 the patty weddicks and the melanie may runs and and the lucy hales and the and the and the Troy and the Belisarios, you, you, when you spend that much time with them and you're writing as much as you're writing and you're with other people who are writing for them, um, it's big, you, you, it just shows up. It's just, you know, it's not a very scientific way of looking at it, but you'll write a line and you know, Oh, this is for her. And this is, and this is for her. Um, I wrote I wrote a line for for Troy and she says I think she says it's her favorite line it's the most perfect line for the character and it's we did an episode where she was kind of the character was kind of zapped on Adderall and she they let me make a black and white episode um and in the middle of the black and white episode with all this kind of film noir stuff going on around her she looks at a a, a poster 
the, of the club they're going into. And it says, you know, three shows nightly, N-I-T-E-L-Y. And she literally stops, looks at the poster and says, that's not how you spell nightly. And then the scene continues. Well, that's my that's that's my Troyan. Yeah, I mean that is a only that character can say that line, right? That's what you're looking for, ideally in every line. It's always sometimes fun. It's like you give them a line and they come up to you and you say, "I don't know how to know what this is," and then you say it back and they think, "Oh, that's what it is." I was in, I was I was leaning on the wrong part of it. Interesting. I mean, I I've also found the opposite, right? Like they come up to you and say, "I don't know what this line is," and you look at the line and go, "Yeah." I don't either. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what this is. Why don't we fix that? Yeah, exactly. Which is why you need a writer on set. You need a writer on set. Uh, because we actually do know what we're doing. We're going to grow up and be producers and editors and 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 other things, if you'll just let us. Dialogue in a scene is, we want it to be natural, but not a, a recreation of life, right? Like there's this interesting line that you have to walk uh, and I'm curious about, you know, how how you found a way to walk that line and, and you know, who who does it great that you can point to, you know, outside of some of those influences that we've already talked about. They're like the masters, like guys like Alvin Sargent and uh, Goldman, William Goldman. Uh, you, 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 you don't catch Goldman writing much. Uh, um, then it's and I think it's I think it's. It comes from a level of confidence when you know you can start taking things out. Again, we're we're looping back to this: is you will you will have overwritten. You're supposed to overwrite, and theoretically, you have enough time. And and I mean, as I can't go back to PLL because it was literally was such a wonderful experience. I didn't want to staff when it was over uh, because nothing was going to be this nice. Uh, And I think that was like, and then. All hell broke loose in the world, which apparently was my fault for not staffing. You know, Stephen King says you have to read a lot, you have to write a lot, and there's no other. That's it. You just have to do that. I think there's, I to my mind, there's always there is a continuous cycle of of non-threatening questions. Why? Why did she do that? Why did she come in here? Would Would he stay here? What would he do to keep her here? What? Why is it, you know, or, and if you want to go take the step back further, it's like, why is he still living with his mother? Uh, what's going on there? What's what, what, ha- what happened that he didn't leave? Is this something, is this something we're going to be dealing with? Are we going to tell this? Are we going to, are we going to tell this crime story? Uh, and use it to talk about men who don't grow up. And what happens to them? And what happens to the women who do maybe advance porn? Yes. I mean, they're all, it's, yeah. Genre is, genre is like period. It gives you a tremendous freedom because you are not, you're dealing with, in the case of genre, so much recognizable landmarks that if you can plant a couple of flags, and people might say, oh, that's cliche. That's been done. No, you you're going to do it in a different way. There's an there's 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 no such thing as a, as there really isn't a cliche. They're just cliche responses to things. And all you have to do is say, I don't do that. I I I will not settle. I you know, the closest time 
the closest I've ever come to bopping anybody in a writer's room was when there was an expositional issue that came up and it was a small, it was a small expositional issue. And someone in the room said, well, why don't we just, you know, go past a newspaper stand? And I said, I said, no, we will have no spinning headlines on this television program. That is no, I, I draw the lines somewhere. There has to be some other way to do this. Um, And there, and there is, there's, there is just think about, okay, the, the phone lines are down. How do you know the phone lines are down? Well, my, my, my brother-in-law works for the phone company and we've met the brother-in-law, but we didn't know he was working on the phone company before. So it's like, it's not, so we haven't just, there's lots of practical tricks. It's sleight of hand to a certain extent, I guess. And you get good at it with practice. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I well, if nothing else, you've given me permission to write long, which I appreciate. <laughs> Not fear that uh, early draft. No, no, there's nothing wrong for an early draft. And I and I think the same thing. There's I, I don't I don't curse the I don't curse the early draft because you just sometimes sometimes whoa, here it is. Yeah, and I'm going to remember that one. Yeah, Joseph, thank you so much. Tell us uh, the name of the novel um, and the the writing book as well, and where folks can find them. Um, the novel is called The First Cylinder, uh, and it is available from the publisher, uh, which is, uh, Fayetteville Mafia Press, but also it's on Amazon and in, in choice bookstores around the greater Los Angeles area as well. Uh, the book on writing is called A Screenwriter's Companion. Um, and that again is a same publisher and you can get it on line at uh at amazon and it's i'm it's it was kind of again it's like is that it's that bookend thing i found there's some, i got to a point where i figured i could finally say some stuff about writing and hopefully it would be of use um well for sure even if this you know half hour is uh just a glimpse of what folks are getting from the book i think they'll be very pleased uh we will end as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days what's getting you excited or inspired what can't you wait to put on <laughs> The one thing that has burned through everything over the past couple of years is Midnight Diner on Amazon. I think it's on Amazon Prime or it's on Netflix. They're 22 minutes long. They are, it's, it's essentially an anthology show set in a very small restaurant in Tokyo that's only open between midnight and 7 a.m. And... And the master chef is there and people come in and everybody knows your name. Um, and there are these tiny little short stories that play out in 22 minutes and some resolve nicely and some resolve sadly and some don't resolve. But there is, again, you you look at people sitting in a restaurant and you know who they are because you know the war has been chosen, the actor's been chosen, and they're just delightful. You know, they're 22 minutes and they end with a recipe. So you can make the dish that's features. That's the one I love. Yeah, uh, yeah. that sounds terrific. I didn't know of the show at all. I will definitely check it out. Oh, it's been on for it's been on for a while. There are like about three different seasons of it. Um, you'll you'll dig the vibe, or you won't dig the vibe. It sounds like my vibe very much. Um, Joseph, thank you so much for chatting. 